Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 295. It's titled, Federal Reserve Insolvency and Monetizing the national debt. We've had a lot of discussions on the Money for the Rest of Us Plus forums recently regarding actions the Federal Reserve is taking and the federal government, most of which are necessary in order to combat the economic shutdown related to the pandemic. But there's also some concerns. Here's a few quotes from members. When you hear about debt in the trillions anymore, it's beyond mind-numbing. How can this be sustainable? But the debt is generally measured in dollars, trillions of dollars, and it is god-awfully high. But a dollar is a unit that is not fixed. A milliliter never changes, a cup never changes, but today's dollar is not 10 years ago dollar or 50 years ago dollar. Maybe it would be better to hear we are 170 billion Benjamins in debt. Maybe. I think a better unit is percent of GDP. That is really the only way you can compare debt over time. How about debt versus GDP after World War II versus now? The federal debt, publicly held debt as a percent of the economic output in the U.S., gross domestic product or GDP, is 106%. Back in 1948, it was 119%. So we are below that level. Japan's Debt to GDP is over 200%. Another member wrote, Rumors and stories about the Federal Reserve possibly buying equities to stabilize the prices, should the need arise, causes me to recoil. It seems to me that price discovery and evaluating the true value of assets would be difficult. As an investor, that gives me pause about equity investments. But it's really no different than the Fed buying bonds at the end of the day. And for some reason, I don't recoil as much at that action. And finally, another member wrote, we don't have free markets anymore if the Fed buys everything at some arbitrary price and eliminates price discovery. At some point, the government owns so much of the market that we no longer have a market economy. So are there limits? And what are those limits? Can the Federal Reserve go insolvent? Can the Federal Reserve monetize the national debt? Is there really a free lunch available that somehow this can be done? A couple weeks ago on episode 292, I quoted Neil Kashkari, who is the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. He was being interviewed by Scott Pelley on 60 Minutes. Kashkari suggested the Federal Reserve's power to create money is infinite. Pelley asked, will the Federal Reserve just print money? Kashkari responds, this is literally what Congress has told us to do. That is the authority they have given. 
to print money and provide liquidity into the financial system. We create it electronically, and we can also print it with the Treasury Department. Pelly asked, can you categorize what the Fed has done this week as flooding the system with money? Kashkari responds, yes, exactly. And there is no end to your ability to do that, Pelly asked. Kashkari, there is no end to our ability to do that. There is an infinite amount of cash at the Federal Reserve. We will do whatever we need to do to make sure there is enough cash in the banking system. An infinite amount of cash. But physical resources in an economy is not infinite. There are only so many factories, so many businesses, so many households, so much oil, although clearly too much oil right now, given the price of the May oil contract fell to negative $37 yesterday. But there are limits. While the Federal Reserve has an infinite power to create money, that doesn't mean there is an infinite capacity to absorb that money. And what if commercial banks don't want that money? Or households and businesses don't want that money? Over the past month, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet has expanded from $4 trillion to $6 trillion as its holdings of U.S. Treasuries increased by $1 trillion. What do we mean when we say the balance sheet expanded? Well, the balance sheet has assets on the left. So now there's $6 trillion of assets and it has liabilities and surplus or a capital equity on the right, which is about $6 trillion. If you look at the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, there's $5 trillion in securities. Those are its primary asset, $3.7 trillion in U.S. Treasury securities, $1.5 trillion of mortgage-backed securities, and only $11 billion of gold. But that's what they own, mostly Treasury bonds and some mortgage-backed bonds. What are the liabilities? This is from pages from the Federal Reserve's website where they list out the liabilities. The largest is deposits of depository institutions, what is commonly known as reserves. The Fed writes that more than 5,500 depository institutions maintain accounts at the Federal Reserve Banks. They hold balances in these accounts to make and receive payments or to meet reserve requirements. The Fed points out that as it increases its holdings of securities, such as U.S. Treasury bonds, it also raises the level of deposits of depository institutions. When the Federal Reserve buys securities either outright or via a repurchase agreement, the Federal Reserve credits the account of the clearing bank used by the primary dealer from whom the security is purchased. They are describing quantitative easing. They purchase a bond, treasury bond, through a primary dealer, and they create the money that gets added to the reserve account of that bank and they take the treasury bond as an asset. So there's a liability, the reserve deposit, the assets, the security, the money was created out of thin air to do that. There's an infinite capacity to do that. That is quantitative easing. The other major liability that central banks have, Federal Reserve, it's the Federal Reserve notes, $1.8 trillion worth. They are dollars. If you look at a dollar, it is a non-interest-bearing perpetual liability of the central bank. The Fed writes that when a bank 
needs more currency to meet its customers' needs. It asks a reserve bank to send more Federal Reserve notes to them. And then the deposit that the bank has at the Federal Reserve is reduced by the amount of currency or dollars that it receives. Another large liability that the Federal Reserve has is the U.S. Treasury General Account. It has about $890 billion right now. The Fed writes, it is the physical agent of the U.S. Treasuries. And major outlays of the Treasury are paid from the Treasury's general account at the Federal Reserve. The Treasury receives tax revenue. It goes into that account. When it pays for something, it goes out of that account. It is cleared through the Federal Reserve. When the Treasury issues bonds, the money goes into that general account. When Treasury bonds are paid off, that general account at the Federal Reserve is reduced. So those are the major liabilities. Deposits of depository institutions, known as reserves, Federal Reserve notes, known as dollars, and the U.S. Treasury general account. The Fed also has some capital, equity capital, only $38 billion. That means its liabilities are 100 times more than its capital or surplus. The balance sheet, the assets, $6 trillion. By comparison, in September 2008, right before the first round of quantitative easing, the Fed's balance sheet was only $900 billion. What about earnings? What's the income statement of the Federal Reserve like? Its last audited financial statements was December 31st, 2019. The Federal Reserve earned $103 billion of interest. It earned interest from its U.S. Treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities that it owns. It paid out $62 billion of interest, so that's the interest expense. It pays interest on the deposits that commercial banks, those 5,500 depository institutions, hold at the Federal Reserve. They're paying interest on that. The gross profit of the Federal Reserve is the difference between what they're receiving in income on their securities and what they're paying out on their deposits. The Fed had $7.4 billion of operating expenses. That's paying salaries, building maintenance, things of that sort. Net income was $55 billion. And then the Federal Reserve passes those earnings, what are known as earnings remittances, to the Treasury. It paid the Treasury Department $55 billion, transferred it to their general account. If the Federal Reserve loses money, it does some creative accounting. It doesn't show up as a loss that reduces its equity. Instead, it creates a deferred asset. Basically, it's this account that has to be drawn back down to zero by the Fed making a profit before it starts paying remittances to U.S. Treasury again. A typical private business, when you lose money, it reduces your equity. If you lose more than your equity, then technically you're insolvent. Ricardo Rice, he's a professor at the London School of Economics. I spent a lot of time the past week reading his papers on how central banks work. He points out that there is no bankruptcy procedure for a central bank, that if its equity balance is below zero, that its liabilities are worth more than its assets, no one can force it to liquidate. That's not the measure of solvency for a central bank. What does measure whether the central bank is solvent or not is whether a private entity 
a commercial bank is willing to continue to sell assets to the central bank in exchange for central bank money, currency, reserves. As long as banks are willing to interact with the central bank and we as private citizens are willing to use Federal Reserve notes, then the central bank can continue. The biggest thing that has changed in the last month is the type of assets that the Federal Reserve is willing to buy. The Federal Reserve has committed up to $2.3 trillion to support non-financial businesses, households, states, and local government. The Treasury Department has promised $200 billion to cover potential losses from what the Fed will be doing. The Fed launched a $600 billion Main Street lending program to provide loans to smaller businesses via commercial banks, $850 billion to buy corporate bonds, including non-investment-grade bonds that have been downgraded, and exchange-traded funds, $500 billion in liquidity support for state and local governments. The Fed will buy paycheck protection program loans made by commercial banks and that are backed by the federal government. $350 billion of loans have been approved. That money's been used up. Congress is looking to raise that. The Treasury has set aside another $450 billion to back up the Fed's lending, which the Fed could use to, because it uses so much leverage to provide the non-financial sectors up to $4 trillion. What happens if the defaults on these loans or spreads widen on these commercial bonds and overwhelms the capital balance, the equity that the Federal Reserve has? It could be a major loss. Treasury is backing some of that. We have this deferred asset, but there is no mechanism for the Treasury to recapitalize the Federal Reserve if its losses are that great. Ricardo Rice points out, he writes, what is special about central banks is that their liabilities, their currencies and reserves, define a unit of account in the economy. One of the attributes of money is that it's a unit of account, which means it's used to value goods and services, to record debts, to make calculations. Those reserves that commercial banks have, they can exchange them, as we discussed, for Federal Reserve notes. If they decide that they don't want to hold reserves, they could cash them in for dollars, which could flow into the economy. Ricardo Rice writes, the central bank can print currency, which is legal tender to settle any debts to buy any goods and services. Central banks may be able to print money, but they cannot conjure up free lunches. He mentions the Federal Reserve can always honor the payment on reserves by issuing more reserves, just like a private entity can issue more liabilities. But if that private entity gets into trouble, they'll find that their liabilities are worthless. So it cannot get real resources from the debt it issues. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants to hold it. Why couldn't that happen with the Federal Reserve? Nobody wants to hold their money because they keep creating more reserves to cover losses that might occur from their holdings. Rice writes, reserves are just another form of government liability. Banks must voluntarily choose to hold them. And like any other private agent, they will not be willing to hold an asset that is a Ponzi scheme. 
if banks are not willing to hold those reserves or banknotes, the value falls. They're not worth what they were. What happens when a dollar falls in value? It doesn't buy as much. That's what inflation is. If we got to the point where the Federal Reserve was insolvent or any central bank and banks didn't want to hold the reserves, private businesses didn't really want to hold the dollars because they just weren't worth as much, then you would get hyperinflation. Rice writes, since the real value of reserves is just the inverse of the price level, central bank insolvency is equivalent to hyperinflation, which happens often all over the world. Insolvency then means that reserves and currency denominated in the old unit of account become worthless, or that there is hyperinflation and or currency reform. Sometimes a government will issue a new currency. Mexico's done this a lot. They've issued a new peso. Say the Federal Reserve issued a new dollar. That effectively means the old dollars aren't worth as much. Maybe 50 cents on the new dollar. That's no different than a private company that has debt that defaults on it, and the debt holders only get 50 cents per dollar worth of debt. Currency reform works the same way, which is why Rice concludes insolvency of a central bank is not just theoretically possible. It is also frequent and practiced across the world as attested by the multiple currency reforms that have taken place. If a country devalues its currency significantly, that effectively means its central bank also went insolvent and needs to be recapitalized, often through the, the Treasury Department or the issuance of new currency. The Federal Reserve and other central banks might be able to create infinite money, but they do not have the capacity to create real goods and services. There's some limits, and the central bank can go insolvent. It can go insolvent if it suffers major losses on its riskier assets that it is holding. It goes insolvent if businesses, banks, and people lose trust in it and don't want to own its liabilities anymore. It's reserve notes. They don't want to put money or hold deposits at the Federal Reserve, just like with any bank. Now, is the Federal Reserve monetizing the debt? Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. 
Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. In the last year, the federal budget deficit, the amount that the federal government spent above what it received in taxes was $865 billion. The Federal Reserve just bought in the last month a trillion dollars worth of treasuries. But that CARES Act's $2.3 trillion. The federal deficit over the next year requiring new issuance of treasuries will be over $2 trillion. The Federal Reserve currently owns treasuries equal to about 20% of the national debt owned by the public. It was higher in the early to mid-70s. It got up to 27%. The treasuries that the Federal Reserve owns equals about 17% of GDP. It's the highest it's ever been. The budget deficit as a percent of GDP last year was 4.6%. It reached 9.8% in 2009. It will probably be over 10% easily as this CARES Act works through the system. Rice writes, people are only willing to lend to the government expecting a real return. And almost all government spending programs require providing or paying for real services or goods. Fiscal burdens are real. And it is an illusion to think that printing money makes them magically disappear. If central banks could magically create something out of nothing without bounds, then the whole of society could use monetary policy to solve any scarcity problem. Free lunches don't usually exist at least not in the wide macroeconomic scale where there are finite resources. Even if central banks and monetary policy work towards raising welfare, it is dangerous and almost always wrong to believe that they can create real resources out of nothing. They can't. Digital currency, it's not real. Just numbers. It's not land. It's not factories. It's not talent and ingenuity of workers. So when we talk about the Federal Reserve potentially monetizing the debt, we have to always go back and recognize that the wealth of the country is the real resources. Ricardo Rice had a series of tweets this past week that kind of addressed is the Federal Reserve monetizing the debt or, or ways that the national debt could be monetized. The first, and the Federal Reserve has done this in the past, is to put a ceiling on long-term interest rates, to basically put a cap on it. And that happened following World War II. Now, it keeps interest rates artificially low, which means more attractive for households and businesses to potentially borrow. And that could lead 
to an increase in the money supply and inflation. But that's one way to do it. Just cap interest rates. That's what Japan is doing now. And we've talked about that on the show. The second way to monetize the debt is the treasury just doesn't pay back the bonds that the central bank owns. So it might make good on treasuries that's owned by the public, but the central bank, it just won't pay it back, which means the Federal Reserve has to take a loss. And if it takes a loss, then the deposits, the reserves are worth more than the assets it holds, and it's insolvent. And banks may then, at that point, just ask to trade in those reserves for cash, currency, and that could lead to inflation. Alternatively, the Treasury could default on debt held by the public and not the debt held by the central bank. But that would certainly harm the public, but that would be another way that they could basically get rid of the debt, just default on it. And the fourth case is the central bank just inflates the debt away by running through inflation, allowing the economy to run faster, keep interest rates artificially low so that there's a great deal of lending occurring, and that creates a large increase in the money supply. There's capacity constraints on goods and services. Prices get raised and we have inflation and the value of that debt goes down on an inflation-adjusted basis. Rice tweets, Is the explosion in the central bank's balance sheet a sure sign of monetization of the debt and of future inflation? No, it might or might not. It depends on the monetary and fiscal policy that will follow. Depends on trust. It depends on how much money is flowing into the economy. Right now, all the quantitative easing is just ending up on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet as assets. It ends up as reserves, as the liability. The person that sold that treasury bond or other assets, they get cash, which they may spend, but it was an asset swap. If you sell a security to the Federal Reserve, you're not any richer. You just exchange one asset for another. The question is, will we get to the point where people will not want to do that, not want to sell assets to the central bank and want to hold something else so that the currency of the central bank becomes worthless or worth a lot less, and that would lead to inflation? Yes, there may be infinite money, but there are definitely constraints that central banks face. So what do we do about that? Well, we own real resources to protect ourselves. It's gold. It's land. Real estate. There are some securities, if the federal government doesn't default, that protect against inflation. Savings bonds. Treasury inflation protection securities. On the Money for the Rest of Us website, I have two new guides that you can access. Right there in the main menu under guides, there's a guide called a complete guide to understanding and protecting against inflation. And there's a complete guide to investing in treasury inflation protection securities and series I savings bonds. I'll be adding additional guides like investing in REITs, things that can protect us against inflation. So check those out. Share them. If you have a website, it'd be great if you could link to them from your website that will help other people discover these guides. But in conclusion, the Federal Reserve is not yet monetizing the debt in the four ways that we discussed. They're just buying assets, treasury bonds, that the treasury will need to pay back and redeem. So it's not being monetized. 
there's less debt for the public to own because of what the Federal Reserve is doing. But there are more direct ways to monetize that they're not doing yet that they could do at some point. We will see. But the Federal Reserve is not ironclad, could never go insolvent. It could. Hopefully it won't. Hopefully we'll continue to have trust in that institution, that it will not dissipate that trust with its actions like other central banks around the world have done. And it led to hyperinflation. That's episode 295. Please check out those guides at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, you can sign up for my free insider's guide. I'll email you links each week, as well as an essay on money investing in the economy. And you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered a specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money investing and the economy. Have a great week.